Sports presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Monday edition of the Pick 6 Podcast. Nick Costos joined alongside Will Brinson. We'll get Jason Lockhampora on a little later. JLC currently in Cleveland, but that stops this weekend at Pittsburgh and Ravens training camp. Plus, Pete Prisco in Denver, checking in with him on the Denver Broncos. But, Will, you were in my old stomping grounds, New York, this weekend. What did you have going on in the Big Apple? I was up in uh, New York for a uh, a weekend with my wife and uh, some friends. We also hit up a fish concert at Madison Square Garden on Friday night. Um, that's probably why my voice is a little bit wonky this morning. But we had a we had a good old time. Went up there, hung out, uh, checked out the show, and went to a nice dinner at Lavagna down on the uh, east side. Got some uh, some New York style Italian on Saturday night and uh, cruised back yesterday. I have a, uh, a hot take here, which you will take umbrage with, but I don't really sure. care. Um, I think fish sucks. I think. Sure, that's fine. I don't know. That doesn't bother me at all. A lot of people do. I will say, Nick, that what they're doing in Madison Square Garden over this run is borderline. Un- it's, it's unprecedented. And I don't know that you could find another band that's capable of doing this. They're doing 13 shows in a 21 day period. Right. And. It's, they're doing Thursday, Friday. No, they're doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, break Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, break Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat. And they're going to do it three times. Uh, the the Basically, the shows, are they're very close to sold out for the whole time. And what Fish is doing is not repeating a single song over 13 consecutive concerts. I don't know that another band can do that. Yeah, and, and all the songs are bad, which makes it doubly impressive, Will. Let's get to hashtag news here. And let's start it off with what was one of the most brutal training camp practice performances that we've ever seen. And I think if you gave me a choice of either going to a fish show or watching Blake Bortles throw a football in practice, I'd probably sign up to watch Trey Anastasio and company do their thing. Bortles, five picks on Saturday in practice, leading Doug Marone to officially say, Will, that he is concerned with his starting quarterback after what we saw last year from Blake Bortles with the Hideo Nomo windup, the catapult delivery, throwing balls into the ground, this is not the type of news that Jaguars fans want to hear. Yeah, I mean, look, we training camp interceptions and interception trackers in the offseason are overblown. I mean, remember the 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 famous Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow, like pass pass completion tracker. I mean, yes. it's all it's all a little a little bit aggressive and a little bit breathless. But I think that this one is a legitimate concerned because what you have here is a guy in Blake Bortles that the the Jaguars for five straight years now have been a team that was supposed to take a leap. You know, they're this team that gets hyped in the offseason. They add all these pieces. They sign guys like Malik Jackson. You know, they they sign Calais Campbell. They sign A.J. Bouye. Uh, They draft, you know, these early round players. I mean, they bring in Miles Jack, uh, Dante Fowler. Leonard Fournette, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey, who had a you know, great year last year, but they bring in all of these guys. They add Leonard Fournette. They're supposed to be good, and it doesn't matter, Nick, what they do in the offseason if Blake Bortles still stinks. And by all accounts, Blake Bortles still stinks. I mean, he, I mean, five interceptions in a training camp practice means that you haven't worked on your mechanics, you haven't tuned in your game, and you're not going to be playing well. And I get that this is the this is the time of the se- this is the time of the year where you work on those things and you improve and you get better and you plan to plan to, you know, to, to work out the kinks, right? It's like, it's like, it's like when a pitcher goes on the DL and they go down to the minor leagues, like Madison Bumgarner giving up nine earned runs at, at single A is a concern, but you know, he's, he's not worried about the, the stat line. And that's the same thing with quarterbacks here, but given how bad Blake Bortles was last year and the importance that Blake Bortles holds for the, for the Jaguars in 2017, you can't not be freaking out about this. And it's also a self-fulfilling issue because when when he throws five picks and people start freaking out about it, there's more coverage of Blake Bortles. And when there's more coverage of Blake Bortles, there's more nitpicking about how he plays. Man, I I cannot get on the Jaguars bandwagon this year. I, I, I 
didn't want to do it last year. I'm definitely not doing it this year, and it's all because of Bortles, and it starts right here with these five picks. So Blake Bortles, not the only young quarterback struggling right now in training camp. How about your guy Mitch Trubisky, Will, your guy from North Kakalaki? Can't even take snaps from center, getting Bronx cheers from the crowd in Chicago. Three early fumbled snaps. He admitted, Will, that it got in his head a little bit after that. Uh, obviously very early for the young man who played in a different spread style offense while in college here, but not the most positive news you'd want to see coming out about the number two overall pick in the draft. No, not at all. And look, Mitchell, and we're going to, we're going to call you Mitch if you keep fumbling these snaps, Mitchell. <laughs> um, you know, he, I mean, this is a guy who I don't, I don't think he's even taken a snap under center since like sixth grade is what he said. And so to make that transition, this is actually where you give Ryan Pace and John Fox – well, not John Fox because he didn't know what was happening. You give Ryan Pace a little bit of credit. The, I, I hate the idea of, of combining Glennon in free agency and Mitchell Trubisky in the draft. But if you believe that Mitchell Trubisky was going to struggle like this as he adjusted to life in the NFL, then it was good to have another option in Mike Glennon. And I think at least the Bears have a quarterback they can trust to start week one – who has NFL experience. So from that perspective, good job not turning this into a total flaming disaster by having Trubisky as your number one quarterback. I think the Bears are going to be bad this year. And I I don't, you know, I think at some point early, we're going to see Mitchell Trubisky, but maybe it's a Paxton Lynch situation where he only plays if there's an injury and he's required to get in there. See, I don't think we're going to see Trubisky at least until later on in the season because I think one thing's clear from what you see, tweets from beat writers, etc. Right now, this is Mike Lennon's team, and that's for better or worse, probably for worse. And Mark Sanchez, by all accounts, is the backup quarterback. Like Mitchell Trubisky right now, or Mitch Mitch, if you keep fumbling right, I call you Mitch. Mitch Trubisky right now is the three. Trubisky's not even the backup right now. Now, obviously, I think if it comes down to it and it's the end of the season and they're seven games under five, not going to the playoffs. They're not going to throw Sanchez out there. They're going to put Trubisky out there and see what he can do. But I think the order is going to be, so let's say Glennon gets hurt week number one against the Atlanta Falcons. I think Sanchez goes in the game before Trubisky does here. So obviously, a lot of time for Trubisky. We're not trying to throw cold water on his entire career here. But yeah, it would be good to be able to take snaps successfully from under center, Will Brinson, for the number two overall pick in the draft. Does, but, yeah. does this have a little bit of... 2016 Rams and Jared Goff to it. No trade up. No, 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 no. No, I mean like you trade up to get the to get the rookie. You spend big on him. He's early. You 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 tell everybody you're not going to play him. You force the veteran out there. You still lose, and you're ah, no, we're just not going to play Mitchell. He's not ready. We're not going to play Mitchell. It's it's just a bad look when you draft a quarterback that early and you can't play him. Well, I think. Th- I think that the Rams bungled the Goff thing. And I think the expectation was when they first made the trade, Jared Goff's going to be the week one starter. And then Jeff Fisher stubbornly decides to stick with Case Keenum for that. Maybe he wanted to get fired. I don't know what the hell the reason was. But I think that was the big difference here. I don't think anyone expected that Trubisky was going to start this year for the Bears. My expectation, at least, when the Rams pulled that seismic trade for Goff was that Goff was going to be the starting quarterback week one for the Rams. And, of course, it took until the 2017 season for that to happen and a new head coach in Los Angeles. Buddy, let's stick in the NFC North with the Minnesota Vikings. Two notes there. Let's begin with Xavier Rhodes, their star cornerback. He inks a six-year, $78 million extension, $41 million guaranteed, an excellent cover corner, excellent against the run. This is a nice building block piece here, Will, for Mike Zimmer's defense. Yeah, you look at what they've done in, in recent years in the draft and in free agency. I mean, bring in Linville Joseph. Um, you know, they added Everson Griffin to another contract deal. They have Anthony Barr. I think he was on Prisco's, Pete Prisco's overrated list, but still a very good player who uh, who has flashed at times. Eric Kendricks, they bring in Emmanuel Lemur, who's an interesting piece to add at linebacker there. They are loaded on defense. And to me, when you have Harrison Smith in that backfield and you add Xavier Rhodes and you put him on that big contract, you're saying we are prepared to keep this defense in place for the better half of a, you know, or the better part of the next decade uh, with Rhodes and Smith, Griffin. And all of these guys that they're putting in there, I think it's a smart move. You're paying him a lot of money, but he's a very good corner. And when you develop good corners in Mike Zimmer's system, you want to keep him around. They did that. Dude, Dalvin Cook, sticking with the Vikings, has been awesome thus far in training camp. All the glowing reports. Latavius Murray on PUP right now. Adrian Peterson no longer in town. I would be stunned if Dalvin Cook was not the Vikings' number one running back come week one and all the way through the entire regular season. And maybe the postseason, because I think the Vikings will bounce back from what we saw last year. Well, I remember the last undefeated team last year, too. I I, I agree with you on Cook, though. 
uh, I talked to Cook this offseason on our old podcast, the, 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 the previous edition of Roughing the Passer, and he pointed out that what uh, Pat Shermer is operating there is very similar to what he ran in terms of Florida State, these stretch runs, these zone reads. And he's, I mean, this guy is a big play, explosive runner, capable of ripping off chunk plays. Latavius Murray, injured, came into the season injured, really, came into the offseason injured right after they signed him in free agency, and not the, really the guy you want, the explosive, quick-twitch runner. I think Murray's going to be more of a guy they use in the red zone, and I think Cook is going to be the feature back the guy they run this offense through, he's the best skill position guy they have out there. And even though Riley Reef and, and Mike Rimmers aren't, you know, the two Hall of Famers, you know, we're not talking about Tony Baselli here, but they are two guys that are upgrades over what they had last year. And I think this offensive line is a little bit improved. And I think Dalvin Cook, Nick, if you're if you're maybe if you're in Vegas and you're looking to drop some sleeper cash on something for how about offensive rookie of the year, Dalvin Cook? I mean. Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, all great. They're quarterbacks that are great. But Cook could be the most explosive and most dynamic back in this entire class. Yeah, and I can't wait to draft Alvin Cook, overdraft him in fantasy leagues. And for all your fantasy needs, check out the Fantasy Football Today podcast. Our friends Adam Azer, Jamie Eisenberg, Dave Richard, Heath Cummings and company. You can find that on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, wherever the hell else you find podcasts. One other note on rookie running backs. We've spent some time discussing the Panthers already last week, so we'll just mention this and move on. But Jonathan Stewart has been waxing poetic about Christian McCaffrey calling him unstoppable out of the backfield. I think McCaffrey has dropped one pass thus far in training camp. He's looked great. No surprise. We think he is going to be a stud. Now, we think Andrew Luck is going to be a stud, but that is entirely contingent upon Andrew Luck getting on the field. Will, we broached this last week. You had a great column last week on CBSSports.com. Concern about the Indianapolis Colts. Luck Judging from his quotes recently, and from what we've seen from GM Chris Ballard here, I think it's a 50, it's a coin flip at best here that Andrew Luck's the starting quarterback week one in L.A. against the Rams for Indy. Yo, we're recording this podcast on Monday, July 31st, the final day of the month of July, a.k.a. tomorrow is August, a.k.a. the last month before football starts, and Andrew Luck is throwing a tennis ball. That's not good. That's not a good sign. It would be good and if I, he were I, like Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer. Then it's great. But an NFL right. quarterback, not so good. Yeah, and I, I just think that – and I wrote – this is why I wrote that story last week. And then, you know, you kind of saw people at Colts camp come out and try and, and – they weren't like – I don't think they were directing it at my column. But, I mean, clearly there's been a little bit of momentum towards the idea of wondering if Andrew Luck is is ready to go. And then when he drops out and says – I might not be ready to week one. It's dangerous to count backwards from a certain date, late August or September. No, it's not. That's the start of the regular season. And if Andrew Luck isn't ready for the for week one of the 2017 season after an injury he sustained in 2015, then the, somebody needs to take a deeper look at what the Colts did here because they have botched this unbelievably I mean, in a, in a way that is just almost indescribable that you could let your franchise quarterback who's being paid the most guaranteed money in NFL history spend the offseason not being ready for week one of 2017. Let me play devil's advocate here because I do think Luck is obviously is a really smart guy. Stanford educated the whole deal. His quotes encourage me from one perspective, discourage from what we've already talked about. But he's not going to come back and rush this. Like, he's not going to come back until he's right. So let's, let's say it's week two. Let's say it's week three. Obviously, Scott Tolzien's your quarterback. Maybe you go one and two. Let's just say it's three games. Maybe you go 0 oh and three. But wouldn't you rather have Andrew Luck for 13 games this year and then know at least barring any future injury that you've got him healthy moving forward because if you rush him out there for week one just to have him out there for the start of the season and you've got Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn and and Alec Ogletree and the other players on that Rams defense coming at him Wade Phillips defense yes it's bad if he's not out there week one but if he's not ready you can't put him out there because he is the franchise right now and in a tough AFC South with developing rosters they would be screwed for years to come so I think it goes both ways here no I, I, I play with that I, I always look back at the tiger like Tiger Woods when he kept he kept rushing back from these back injuries and it's, it's not dissimilar I mean obviously a back injury is a little scarier but if it's your right shoulder and that's 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 what you throw with if you're Andrew Luck, you can't rush back because if you do that, you could re-injure it and then you set yourself back even further. So yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that. Take the steps, get it done. But that doesn't mean what the Colts have done heretofore hasn't been a disaster. If, cause I mean, you have all offseason to get Andrew Luck healthy 
And now we're staring down a week one situation. It bears monitoring. If he, you know, if he gets, if he looks like he's picking up the pace and getting closer over the course of training camp, that's great. If he looks like he's really struggling to make progress, look, if he misses the quarter of the season, the Colts are in trouble. All right, Will, that does it for the news portion of the Pick 6 podcast. Checking in with Pete Prisco a little later in Denver. But first, Jason Lockhanfora, live from Cleveland. Jason, how's the travel been thus far? I can't complain, man. It's been mostly sunny skies. No crazy electrical storms like I usually run into. Uh, I haven't had to pull over on the side of the road yet, and I'm totally jinxing myself now. But no no horrendous traffic either, although, uh, again, I probably just screwed myself for the rest of this trip but yeah no thanks guys it's been uh it's been smooth sailing so far true or false jason this this trip through pittsburgh and cleveland you're going to cleveland later you're in cleveland now you're going to go to indy um true or false this involves you in a rented convertible driving down midwestern highways blaring foreigner at like the maximum volume capacity um, there is no convertible. It's like a Mazda CX nine or something. I thought see No, I have a CX nine. This is like a CX five, I guess. It's not convertible, and I only Blair fog hat. So you you were close. <laughs> you were you were almost there, Will. True or false, I the, Jason? I got the right letter. True right, or false, yeah, Jason? Yes, you were you were right there. You have had to pull over on the side of the highway on a training camp tour before. I mean, I don't do it. Uh, with great vigor only as a last resort. But yeah, there's been times, um, I think it was right around one time driving from Pittsburgh to Cleveland and you're up in a lot of, uh, hilly areas and a lot of, uh, long stretches of bridges. And when you have zero visibility, sometimes, uh, it makes sense just to, just to pull under, um, an underpass somewhere and see if that thing slows down over 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. I've hit, I've hit some doozies and going across Missouri too, from, St. Louis to Kansas City. Not that I have that problem anymore. At any point this week, Jason, did you have to pull over on the side of the road, um, put the car in park, and spend a few minutes praying for the Ravens as they make their decision on Colin Kaepernick? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no prayers for me there. Uh, I'm certainly an interested party just because the the Kaepernick saga is clearly one of the definitive or or resonating plot lines of this entire NFL offseason. Um, look, I was there. I know a lot of people there. John Harbaugh is in a situation where they, they need to provide at least extreme lip service to the idea of signing the kid because Harbaugh came out the owners meetings in the spring, said, nobody's blackballing him. He's a good enough quarterback. He's going to get a job. The right situation will emerge. And then blammo right before camp, you know, he loses his starting quarterback. Now, again, everything I hear, including as of this morning is that, you know, they're still thinking Flacco rest for until the middle of this week and then tries to, you know, throw again. And they're not, they're not, they're not worried about it long term. But still, he finds himself without a quarterback with Greg Roman on the staff and with his brother being the guy that more or less created Kaepernick. And yeah, you better at least talk about him. And, you know, you need to um, at least have a back and forth with the media about it. Ultimately, I don't think they're signing any quarterback unless it looks like. Flacco's out for, you know, a, an extreme amount of time, which again, isn't the case. Um, look, Ryan Mallett is no good, um, but they've had Ryan Mallett there before and he's a no good that they know and that they trust. Uh, even though I would dare say he's had far greater transgressions that actually affect a football team, like missing a plane than anything Colin Kaepernick's done, you know, but his vices, it, what he does that's like the okay kind of like controversy, like, you know, beating somebody up or allegedly hitting your spouse or getting DUIs. Like those guys, they get another chance. An outspoken backup quarterback who does a lot of volunteer work uh, and, and has, again, made, made some comments and done some things that not everybody has agreed with regarding police brutality and, and law enforcement in general. You know, he's got more hoops to jump through. So, I don't, uh, my, my stance on Kaepernick overall hasn't changed. It's going to take a catastrophic injury situation for some owner to gulp hard and swallow his pride. And then suddenly all the um, fan turmoil and fan unrest and, oh, we so controversial won't matter anymore because you need people to come to your stands. You're trying to make money and you want to win some football games. And there is no way that there are a hundred odd quarterbacks 
in on this planet who are better than Colin Kaepernick, but there are currently a hundred odd quarterbacks employed by NFL teams. JLC, a couple things. Number one, great usage of the word blammo during that answer. I really like that, the, the blammo. Now, we saw the reports about Mallet stinking up the joint, right? But those are just reports. You were actually there. You're as plugged in. No, he stunk. He stunk. Yeah, I mean, how, how bad? <laughs> the day I was there. How bad? Uh, I'm, it, at this point, the day start like, so what is today? Monday. So I guess I was there. Friday. Yeah. I mean, they were, they couldn't hand the ball off. They were botched exchanges. I mean, at one point, Harbaugh stopped practice and screamed at the offense pretty good. Um, a lot of balls hitting the ground, a lot of linebackers I'd never heard of intercepting passes. No, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, and you can't blame the kid. They just signed from the league. Nobody ever heard of the indoor league. Nobody ever heard of. Cause he wasn't even really throwing passes that day. He was just kind of taking it all in. He probably was thinking though, this depth chart I might be able to climb this depth chart a lot faster than anybody thought. Uh, no, it is. It's look. It's not pretty. I mean, they're in bad shape. I mean, Crockett Gilmore. The day I was there, you know, he and Boyle were basically the starting tight ends because Ben Watson's still working his way back. And then, literally, with like two and a half minutes left in practice, Gilmore grabs his knee. He goes down, spikes his helmet. Uh, that's a meniscus repair that's getting done today. He's, you know, they don't know the timetable, but he's not going to be playing anytime real soon. Um, Marshall Yonda, the one glue guy, the one proven guy on the entire offensive line at this stage of his career, he's getting veteran days off. They don't know who their starting center is. They thought it might be John Urschel, but he retired at 6 a.m. the day that they were supposed to be on the field for the first time. And they don't know who the right tackle is. So you, you combine that with the quarterback situation, um, that's, you know, you, you, you're going to have some issues. Yeah. I mean, I think you could make the case that no team has had a worse off season or at least at worst first week of the preseason training camp, whatever you want to call it than the, than the Baltimore Ravens. Um, uh, yeah. And, and no, now, go back to Steve Smith retiring. You know what I mean? You yeah. could start because they tried to prod him out of it. I mean, they told him you could skip training camp. We'll make special concessions. You know, you can go stay with your family in Carolina for part of training camp. We don't even care. And he's like, nah, I'm going to do this media thing. Really, from that point on, it's been all downhill. Yeah, and now the other thing, and I don't want to harp on Kaepernick too long, but I mean, it is sort of what everybody's talking about because that's what happens when uh, any quarterback suffers a, you know, a sprained, uh, you know, sprained pinky finger or, or if any, you know, if Austin Davis gets signed, people melt down about it. The other thing the Ravens are doing, uh, according to ownership and, and management, is checking with Ray Lewis about whether they should sign Colin Kaepernick is that as silly an idea as everyone else seems to think it is? Yeah, that's pretty asinine. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it from a PR standpoint. I really don't get it from any standpoint. I mean, also, in, in you know, interjecting RG3 into this as well. I mean, really? Yeah. I do believe there are 100 quarterbacks better than RG3. <laughs> I mean, I, like, there's a reason he's not signed. I mean, I, it, it's, 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 I mean, if it's not over for him, it's close to being over for him. And, I don't know that anybody sees the upside in him. That was so miserable in Cleveland. Not that any quarterback looked good, but I mean, and you 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 get a different set of sort of distractions. The dreaded D word with him. I was I was I guess they didn't want it to just be about Kaepernick, so they wanted now they they figured well if we broaden it and we, we say we're look we're talking about some other guys too, then maybe it doesn't become just a Kaepernick thing, but. There's, there's, no, I mean, I just think it would look worse to sign if they sign RG three and not Kaepernick. I think they will have boxed themselves even into more of a corner because there's no way anybody who's ever watched film, even as a freaking personnel intern, could possibly think that RG3 could do what Colin Kaepernick can do. It was great because it felt like Steve Bishotti, Dick Cass, and the Ravens were just like throwing backup quarterbacks out there like, hey, we might bring Warren Moon in for a workout or what's Jim Kelly doing these days? Like, let's Well, see there's nobody – at yeah. this point, the, the cupboard's so bare. Like, it's either RG3 or Charlie Whitehurst. Like, that's the other guy. <laughs> so, like, I guess they chose RG3 because he's got more of a name, but – it's arguable as to which of those guys has better hair at any given time. Oh, that, I would watch. That I would Charlie watch Whitehurst. a Charlie Whitehurst, Ryan Mallett, like TNT ampersand buddy cop drama. You know, like like uh, like Mallett and Whitey. Yes, it, it would consist of clipboard Jesus trying to wake Ryan Mallett up in the morning so they could wake up yeah. and solve these cases. He's got to like carry him on his shoulders, like put him in the fireman's carrying and get him up only, the steps to the team plane. Yeah, Jason. there was only one set of footprints out of the bar that night. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking more like a roadhouse thing now, now that you say that. 
Jay's final like question. Like he's the Sam Elliott, you know what I mean? And and <laughs> and Mallet's like the Swayze type, still a little crazy, you know. Still has to be like the, the older, the older, wiser heads got to get him out of trouble sometimes. Uh, final question on the Ravens here: Do you think, and from what you've heard, that we'll see Joe Flacco out there Week One against the Cincinnati Bengals? I do. Uh, I, I do. Um, Unless, you know, there's a setback, he does something else to re-injure it, uh, there, there's something unforeseen. But, um, you know, they've looked at that MRI a few times. They don't see anything there. And, and again, if they had real concern, they would be restructuring contracts to bring a real quarterback in. They wouldn't be signing a dude from, again, from a league that no one's ever heard of. I mean, David Olsen, he was playing in some CIFL. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I don't. I that that sounds like a like the sixth best option for a postseason college basketball tournament. That that's the league. That yeah, Ryan it sounds Allen's like some show my wife watches. Real R W H O C. You know what I mean? It sounds like one of those Real Housewives shows. No, or something. It's like coming up next right. on CBS NCIS CIFL. <laughs> so moving to the Steelers because. They are a team. It feels like a polar opposite situation. You know, for certain, yes. so long it's always been you know this these two defenses versus one another, and now it's the Steelers might very well. I mean, I know we're all talking about the Patriots and their offense, but if Martavis Bryant is back and stays on the field, and if James Conner is a capable backup to Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers might have the best offense in the AFC, right? Maybe the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the problem for the Steelers yesterday was by the end of practice, neither one was on the field. This Martavis Bryant thing is a head-scratcher. I mean, you reinstate him, you let him go through OTAs, and, and I mean, the league just, I, I mean, there's, there's no other explanation to me than they just make some of this up as it goes along. They let him practice in the spring, they tell him he's reinstated, and then they, then they call him and say, but he, can't, he can go to meetings, but he can't practice at training camp. And they're like, well, what's the difference? And they don't really get an explanation. And then they call Adolfo Birch and those guys back and say, well, can't we just put him on an NFI list? Why is he counting as a roster spot if he can't practice? We can't actually put him on the field. And they didn't get an explanation for that either. So basically, they're just waiting for a call that says he's all clear. But there's a part of them that's wondering, is there something we don't know? And maybe we don't get that all clear. Um, in the meantime, there's some candidates for number two wide receiver. Justin Hunter, who, remember, was a second-round pick. The kid's 6'4". He has some pretty good measurables. He's already on his fourth team in four years, though. I, I just Some of the stuff, the way Harley can use a wide receiver like a tight end, and they don't have a lot of tight ends, and some of the stuff I saw them do in their red zone packages with size receivers, I, I, it's real, real, real early, but I have an interesting – I just have a sense that guy's going to be a factor for them a little bit and they feel like they found another diamond in the rough and no organization going back to Heinz Ward 20 years now he was drafted in 98 they've basically had a pro bowl caliber receiver you know and a thousand yard receiver on their roster more or less every year since 98 I mean the baton passing and the drafting and the development's been been unreal and then if you have Bryant another size guy with this kid Hunter and if he actually turns the corner um, you know and Antonio Brown is arguably the best in, in the game and they still they still feel like I mean Haley still loves Eli Rogers and, and I know that kid had some ups and downs last year but he still has a, sh a shot to do some things in the slot for them as well uh, I'm very excited about what they can do Connor looks great he was blowing up linebackers and pass pro drills but he got a little something something with his shoulder so he had to get checked out after practice they don't think it's anything too major but they, they love what what they've seen from him and now Davis gives them an ability to have a return guy as well. So um, their biggest concern with Le'Veon Bell is, and Tomlin's in regular contact with him isn't that he's not going to show up, but it's just that what happens, you know, when he signs that thing and he shows up, does he try to be Superman? Does he try to prove I don't, I didn't need training camp anyway. And then you get one of those soft tissue issues that tends to linger and become a problem. Jason, we know the Steelers offense is going to be very good. I think the question now always becomes, Come January, if they have to go to Gillette to play the Patriots, can they slow down Tom Brady in a potential AFC championship game? So when you look at some of these young guys, whether it's the rookie, TJ Water, Bud Dupree coming off the edge, or Artie Burns, last year's first-round pick, is the feeling there that some of these young defensive players are going to be able to take that step forward? Yeah, Burns is still one where they're just kind of, you know, uh, hoping. Um, you see some things you like, and, and he actually had – pretty decent day going up against Antonio Brown yesterday when I was there, but, but you, you just, you don't know. They love Sean Davis, uh, 
the other DB they took in that draft. They really like this kid Hargraves, a young defensive lineman they have. They want to get an extension done with Steven Tuitt, and they feel like he's become a real core player for them. Um, you know, you, you Harrison, he's a freak. He'll probably get him eight to ten sacks in in special situations. Um, even Bud Dupree, as much as he's flashed, there's still some people in the organization who felt like He's a tweener, and if he doesn't develop a full repertoire of, of dance moves, if you will, you know, the speed stuff, eventually they kind of figure it out. So, you know, pass rush, I think, is certainly what you're going to look at and say, you know, do they, do they have enough? Um, and obviously, you know, what? How much does he give them as a rookie? So, uh, yeah, defense is where the questions lie. I think the secondary, though, it continues on an upward trajectory and, and, and will be better. I mean, two, three, four years ago, it was, it was kind of a, a fire drill, a cluster back there. I, I think, I think the personnel and defense has improved and, and look, the recipe for them is going to be kind of like Atlanta. Like if they're playing with a lead, if they're winning first quarters, if they're jumping on people, then, you know, a guy like Harrison becomes more impactful because the other team's throwing all the time and, and you can, you can tee off on them. A little bit. So uh, the offense, you know, certainly needs to be a top five type proposition and one that can get off to some fast starts. And and you would say they there's no excuse not to. You actually you actually sound a little bearish on the Steelers defense and the Steelers as a whole, Jason. I I mean, I, I feel like they're sort of the team. Everybody's like, well, the offense is coming together. They have all the pieces. And now we just need this defense with all this talent to actually make it click, and, and this will be the year it does click. Do you or you sound like you might be a little hesitant there. No, I mean, I, I think they're arguably the second-best team in the AFC. Um, you know, the the issue for them is, I mean, I, this should be the year also because I just don't like the rest of that division. I mean, this should be a New England year for them in that they've got a four-game lead or three or four-game lead by Thanksgiving, you know, and then it's a matter of – does home field go through Hines or does it go through Foxborough? I mean, the Patriots haven't won a road playoff game since 05. They never have to play them. So, you know, and, and Pittsburgh, obviously New England is their sort of house of horrors. So can they get to that 13-win type plateau where they don't have any drastic injuries, they don't have any of these suspensions that seem to pop up all the time with key players, and then maybe, you know, they, they, they do match a win total with new England or, or best to win total with, with new England. Um, I mean, look, they've rebuilt the offensive line. I mean, really everything on that side of the ball, the only area they're a little thin is tight end, but I mean, nobody has everything in the salary cap era. And I just think the defense just has to bend, not break it, it, The defense has to be solid between the twenties, make people, if the defense just makes people earn their drives, the offense should be okay. They just can't give up the kind of quick strike bombs all over the place like that secondary used to. A little bit of pass rush and make them earn it. If they're going to score seven, make it take six or seven minutes. You know, I, I think that that's probably their their calling card. Jason, you're heading to Brown's training camp after this interview. What will you be looking for at that visit? Misery? No, I don't know. <laughs> You'll find uh, that. You know, I'll probably end up writing about Greg Williams, and and this is a guy who's always kind of been looking for the next challenge. Well, he's he's found his biggest one yet here with with with, with this outfit. Uh, I'll probably write more about the defense, but obviously you're always watching quarterbacks. I mean, what are we, come on, who are we kidding? And um, the ball's always in their hands, and whether they're handing it off or even whether they can handle a simple exchange under center. When you talk about young quarterbacks today, all those things. Um, you're keeping an eye on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I mean, I wrote a column months ago projecting which of these kids play when, how soon this, all these rookies play. And I, I you know, I had Kaiser certainly playing in, in September and it may be week one. I mean, beating out Kessler should not be that big of a chore. And I mean, the Osweiler thing, I, I may literally, when he's under center, like with the second or third team, I may literally turn my back on the practice, like in a silent protest, the protest of one. I may refuse to watch the Brock Lobster throw a freaking training camp pass today. I just don't know if I have the stomach for it. How about that, Will? Jason Lockhand for a social justice warrior turning his back on Brock Lobster, Brock Osweiler. Jason, appreciate it, buddy. We'll catch up with you later in the week at your takes on Browns camp and Colts camp. And do us a favor, man. If you're feeling sleepy, pull over on the side of the road. We can't have you going through the winding mountains there while, while, you, while you're falling asleep. All right, Jay? 
Yeah, no, I've got a, I've got an audio tape of Prisco screaming, and I just press a button, and that comes on my phone, and it wakes me right up. And speaking, it's a, of- it's a, it's a, it's an eight track of Pete's, uh, Pete, co- Pete and his cat covering Foreigner songs. And you forgot about the Russell Wilson hate as well. And speaking of Pete Prisco, he joins us right now live from Denver Broncos training camp. And Pete, obviously, before we get into football, we have to talk about last night's Game of Thrones episode. Will Brinson, sound the spoiler alarm. That's, that's the that's the Twitter police uh, and spo- uh, Game of Thrones spoiler alarm. Okay, so if you, if you, have if not you haven't seen watched the episode, episode three yep. of season seven of Game of Thrones, hit the fast forward button a couple of times. We're going to talk about it for a minute. All right, Pete, your take on what I consider to be probably a top five episode in the show's run. I was enthralled for the the entirety of that episode. By the way, being in Denver, I had to stay off Twitter because it didn't come on in Denver until 10 o'clock, which means it didn't come on until 1 o'clock East Coast time. Oh. So I was like, man, I had to stay off Twitter last night because I wanted to watch it. it was, I thought that was a great episode. I thought the whole thing was well done. I think you know the, the, the switcheroo of the forts at the end with taking over the other kingdom was fantastic. Uh, the way he killed the woman, I thought the torture of of uh, of the woman and her daughter in by Cersei in the in the dungeon was fantastic. Kill her with the same way she killed her. Ellie, she has to watch it. I mean, the whole thing was. I thought it was a great episode. You, you know, I don't often find myself sympathizing with Cersei and Cersei's uh, willingness to do really creepy stuff. But I gotta say that the Game of Thrones people. First, with the way that he handled the shame, the way that they, the way they handled the girl, you know, did the shame bell. I mean, like what, what they did was terrible. But like that lady tortured Cersei repeatedly, made her walk through the streets naked where she was bombarded with tomatoes and lettuce. And then she stuck the mountain on her. And then with this one, it, like the, the girl did murder her daughter. Right. I mean, like like they murdered uh, uh, whatever. I can't remember what her daughter's name is. Marcella. But um, yeah, Marcella. And um so to like to get that sort of revenge, I kind of get on board with that. I feel like Cersei's like two big revenge moments have sort of been okay, even though as they were happening, I was like, man, this is unstomachably like gross what she is doing in terms of a psychotic level. Like she lies in bed and thinks of ways to kill people. That's weird. By the way, and like and Pete, we talked a little off air, and I agree with you here. I've been unimpressed with what I've seen acting wise from both Jon Snow and Daenerys this season. We could talk about that, but. Lena Headey, the actress that plays Cersei, that scene with the Sand Snakes, with Ilaria Sand and, and, and her daughter in the dungeon, when she's going through that rant, how she understands why she did it, and then she goes, I don't sleep well at night. And Will, you just said it, which she goes, all I do is stay up and think about how to exact revenge upon my enemies. I, I think that Lena Headey deserves every acting award out there possible. I'm literally on the edge of my seat watching this stuff, giggling like a schoolgirl at the big moments, man. That scene was so freaking powerful. And Pete, what a great freaking episode. Eye for an eye is fantastic. It's great theater because it's true. It should be. That's, I mean, hey, eye for an eye. And they, they live it out back in those days. That, yeah, that was great. But yeah, you, you mentioned Jon Snow and, and, and Daenerys. I just don't think that they have the, the acting chops of some of the others in that, in that show. And it shows up to me. I don't know. I, I, it's particularly the queen. I think, you know, to me, they could have had, I would have had the lady who plays the red, Melisandre. The, name, the, the one. Melisandre. Yeah, I would have had her be the queen. I would have made her, if I was casting, I would have cast her as the queen. And I know the queen is supposed to be in the book. She's supposed to be this drop-dead, gorgeous well, thing. Well, she's a child. Well, you know, That's the thing. She's just, younger, so it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Yeah, well, somebody else. I don't know. I just think they miscast her. And uh, Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, that was a great episode. I, I You know, the little the three-eyed rabid weirdo got home. That was weird. Uh, you know, he's a goofball, that kid. Um, yeah, Bron, Bron, I mean, he's like, he's, like, like, so, he's like sitting down with Sansa and they're having this emotional reconnection. He's like, I am the three-eyed rabid. It's like, you and, can and, explain and, it. Like, and now I, I'm going to recount I, the night that you got raped by, by, by Ramsey Bolton right in front of you that I haven't seen right. you in years. By the way, let's talk about the night you got raped. Yeah. It's like, haven't seen you in 20 years, Sansa. By the way, how was that night of your wedding? I mean, like, I saw you there. I mean, how about Bron? Bron's like, Bron's like, he's like, it's really hard to explain the three-eyed raven thing. It's like, no, it's not, Bron. I just explained it to my wife, and she's sitting right here. You could have explained it to your friggin' sister because you didn't even have to sit here and do it in real time and recount 10,000 years of history, you little piece of something. The other thing, Pete, I want to ask you, would you rather have Jeff Fisher or Tyrion Lannister running your battle offs? Because right now I think Fisher is a more aggressive offensive play caller than Tyrion. Tyrion's getting too cute. 
Yeah, but at some point, Tyrion's going to turn into a guy that throws over the top, where Jeff never did. So I think, I think you know, <laughs> no, I, I, Tyrion would be my choice. Well, He's smart. Think, he just that he he could figure a way to get in, didn't he? He figured yeah, a way to get he got, into the he got place. Just, well, I guess I guess Jamie and them kind of accidentally outflanked him by going. They, they didn't know that there would be right. They didn't know that they were going to have nobody there, did they? Or did they plan that on purpose, where they knew they were coming to Casterly Rock, there wouldn't be anybody there, and they went to Highgarden? It's not like they're Maybe, maybe they did. I mean, well, he's no, getting out flanked on I, all I th- sides. I think what they said is that, like, Cersei assumed. And remember that the Littlefinger line, that speech to Sansa about, you know, prepare for all eventualities. And sure. I think that Cersei probably assumed they would come to Casterly Rock. So I think that that was, they did that in advance. Get everybody out of there, go to High Garden. So it was a gamble that I think that I think paid off. And I think the difference here, Jeff Fisher went 7-9 and nine a million years in a row. Right now, Tyrion is the coach of a 3-13 and 13 team. So Tyrion's really got to pick it up here. Because that's not even 7-9 and nine BS from... Uh, from from Team Daenerys Targaryen. This is three and thirteen BS from them right now. And Pete, you mentioned an eye for an eye. You are wait, at Broncos. Wait a second. Training. We haven't even talked about the best character of the show right now, <laughs> the Gravy Man. Are you kidding me? The who? You're on. Oh, dude. Well, you, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. May I, may I, may I hear? Okay. So I'm saying this right now. Will Will can see me on the Skype call with my nose firmly in the air. So I read the books twenty years ago. So I consider myself to be one of those elitists. And Euron Greyjoy in the books is so much better than he's been portrayed on the show. I'm not going to spoil anything, mostly because I can't, because now the show's ahead of the books, but the sense that I get is that Euron, by the end of this season, will be maybe with the exception of the Night King, the biggest heel, the biggest bad guy on the show, because in the books, he puts Ramsay Bolt into shame as far as evil is concerned, so I think there's a lot of goodness still to come from the Gravy Man. I don't know why the hell we call him the Gravy Man, but yeah, Euron, great choice. I I think Crazy Man, I think is what he said. Yeah, he's crazy, man. He's just his eye. The whole look about him is crazy. I mean, if if he walked into a room looking like that, you'd be like, "Oh my God, there's something wrong with that guy." Stay away from him. That, I mean, he looks he looks off, and he is. It's, yeah, he's he's a nice character to be added to the show. I'll tell you that. This is my second I, I attempt. Love, Scott, go ahead, right, we well. should. Oh, I was going to say we should point this out and then probably get on to talking football. But I will also point out that um, when he like, he's standing next to Jamie Lannister and he's he asks he asks him for advice. For uh, lovemaking with his with his own sister is a pretty aggressive and over the top move. Yes, yeah, but particularly a couple of the lines <laughs> we won't yeah, say them. But it, it, <laughs> you know, I'll say this: I, I this show, you know, I binge watched it in the off season, and now I watch it every week. It, it, it's a very, 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 very good show. But it in the wire, so we can we can hold off on the talk of being one of the greatest shows of all time all right. in the wire. Well, we'll table that conversation for another time. Now, here's my second attempt at a segue. First was going to be eye to eye. Now I'm going to say, you're on Greyjoy looks off. You know who else looks off? Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon. There it is, professional segue. Pete Vance Joseph said he was, quote, disappointed in the two signal callers' efforts this weekend. What did you see from Simeon and Lynch? Who stood out and probably for the wrong reasons, right? Well, you know, rookie Demarcus Walker, the defensive end slash who they moved to linebacker, was throwing up at practice yesterday because uh, he didn't feel good. Well, I was throwing up watching the two quarterbacks play. I mean, it was repulsive yesterday. The DBs just destroyed them. They had two pick sixes. They were throwing balls all over the place. It was just a bad, bad, bad day. I mean, and I talked to both of them after practice, and they both conceded that, you know, by no means – uh, were they very good? And they understand that playing against that defense, you're going to have days like that. But uh, they were bad. And and of the two, I thought Lynch maybe was a little bit better yesterday. And they're kind of working through a dynamic here. You know, do you? Lynch is probably the future, but Simeon might be the better choice right now. Although a couple of players I talked to yesterday told me that Lynch has made huge strides in the off season. Um, you know, he's a big, strong, prototypical guy. But Simeon is the smarter of the two, I think, in terms of what he sees on the field. He gets it a little better. He's more advanced from that standpoint. And, you know, you hear talk that maybe Lynch, you know, he goes home in the offseason and he doesn't spend as much time around. I asked uh, Vance Joseph about it. He said that's, you know, they're not concerned about his work ethic. But, you know, Simeon's all in. He learned under Peyton Manning for that year. He watched him. He studied him. He learned how he learned. How he learned and I think that, that, that maybe that gives him an edge up. Me, personally, if you draft Lynch in the first round, I might get on with it. But this team has such a good defense that maybe they want to see a guy, uh, you know, that can just not mess it up. And maybe that's, that's Simeon. Hey, do you think, Pete, that Gary Kubiak's addition to the front office has an impact at all on the quarterback situation? 
No, not at all. He's at his home. He's just a, he's not in the front. Hall. He's basically an area scout. He's going to scout from home. So no, um, you know, this is a different offense too. That's another thing that, that, you know, there, there, there's a lot of change with Mike McCoy as offensive coordinator. They're not just running the same zone schemes that Gary ran with the bootlegs and everything. They're in the shotgun more, which will help Lynch. Remember he, he didn't take snaps under center. He did just that last year. Uh, so it's a, it's a different offense. I think they'll, they'll do a lot of different things, but uh, I, and that gives Lynch a little bit of help that he didn't have a year ago. What's your early read on Vance Joseph as a head coach? You know, I don't know Vance very well, but I, I did know Adam Gase very well, and, and he worked for Gase, and Gase used to rave about him. And, 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 you know, when I talked to Vance yesterday, you know, I was pretty straightforward with him. I said, you know, I, I actually this, I gave you, I, it's the advice I give all young coaches when I first meet him and talk to him, and I tell him, look, Vance, don't get caught up in the game with the media. In, in other words, you, you know, and I, tell, I always use this advice. I say, you went into the profession, most of you guys, thinking you're going to be coaching PE, making $45,000 a year, you know, as a football coach. And now you're actually a head coach making millions. Why would you ever allow something that me or anybody else in the industry writes, uh, your beat guys get under your skin? He says, I don't read, he's, he's 100%, I don't read any of it. Now, I've heard that before from plenty of coaches. They, they get the clips. He said when he gets the clips, he rips them up and throws them away, doesn't read them. And, and so that's a good tack. I like Vance Joseph. I think he's going to be good for that team. I think he's going to be good. You know, he's got that, he's kind of in that younger coach mold, with, but he's not going to take any crap. One thing he did say, I said, you know, do you want to manage the game with that defense? And he says, I'm not managing any game on offense. So he goes, I want to score points. So that leads you to believe that, you know, if they're going to, if you want to think they're going to try and play it safe, they're not going to play it safe. They're going to go with the guy who can give them the most ability to score points down the field. How is the defense? And I know you're tight with some of the guys on that defense, Pete, but uh, how, how are the defensive players dealing with the adjustment from Wade Phillips who ran a, you know, I mean, they had, they had an incredible run there with that defense under Wade um, to the sort of the new regime, which I assume, you know, I mean, you have Joe Woods as the DC, but I assume Vance Joseph has a pretty big impact on what they're running defensively. Yeah, but they're not changing a lot of stuff, though. I mean, still going to still play in the three-four, and they're going to rush the passer, and with Von Miller, you know, chain raise injury hurts, which is why they moved Demarcus Walker from down defensive lineman to a stand-up rush linebacker, and I think that's the move for him. He's undersized to play in their defensive defensive end. I think he'll be probably a pretty good rush guy, so that'll help him. The secondary, you know, those those corners. You you have three corners like Chris Harris, who's you know, arguably the best corner in the league with the key to leave and, and, and Roby, you're going to have guys that you can lock down in coverage and Von Miller can rush the passer. There are concerns though. I mean, the defensive, the run game was bad. They were bad against the run last year. And that was after losing Malik Jackson. And it's hard to let big men like that leave your building. Uh, so they, they had a real void. They signed Pecco from uh, the, the Bengals and he hasn't played very well the last couple of years. And, you know, but Vance Joseph had him in Cincinnati. And I said to him, I said, I said, Vance, you, you know, he hasn't been very good. And he said, yeah, but he's back with me now and they feel good about him. Uh, they also got a kid, Jared, an undrafted rookie free agent from Pitt, who just, he came in at 360, he's now in the 330. But in talking to the players, they say he's been one of the, one of the hits at camp so far and he's got a chance to be a factor in the rotation. I still, I'm still concerned about their, their ability to stop the run. Uh, but they, you know, with those corners, you can do a lot of things. By the way, those guys were getting ready to do an NFL Network hit yesterday, and they're standing there, and you know, it's Chris Harris and Akeem Talib, and they're both standing there. And so I figured out, I'll, I'll twist the knife a little bit. I go, hey guys, uh, the guys in Jacksonville, AJ Boye and uh, and uh, Jalen Ramsey, think they're the best corner tandem in the league now, better than you guys. And in his tip, in his high pitched voice, Akeem Talib, without hesitation, goes, "How many Pro Bowls they got?" <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and then Chris Harris goes, Pro Bowls, what about wins? <laughs> oh. Yeah, let's just make sure that Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye don't wear any chains onto the field in case they encounter or keep to leap at any point during the 2017 season or beyond. Pete, my final question, it feels like the Broncos, and it's crazy to say this about a team that won the Super Bowl two years ago, it seems like they're the forgotten team right now not just in their own division, the AFC West, but probably in the entire conference, right? With the Raiders and the run they had last year and the Chiefs winning the AFC West last year, Denver on the outside looking in of the postseason. Are people sleeping on the Broncos too much heading into this year? Well, if they get any 
type of quarterback play, yes, but that's the big if. I mean, that, that they're going to be good on defense. I think they've made improvements on the offensive line. You know, drafting the Bowles from Utah is going to be really help them at left tackle. Uh, you know, they got Leary, the guard. They're going to be big and physical. Benelak Watson at right tackle. Um, yeah, so they're going to be better on running the ball. I'm concerned about, you know, the quarterback. And, and until your quarterback can show he can do it over the course of a 16-game season, you have to be concerned. Remember, though, the year they won the Super Bowl, they played Cincinnati late in the season, and Cincinnati with A.J. McCarron had them beat. The game went into overtime. If they don't win that game, they don't get in. But that's just it. Once you get in with that type of defense, if the ball you know bounces your way, you get sacks and key moments and, and just make enough plays on offense, you can get hot and go. You just got to be the right, you know, the best team at the right time, not the best team all season. So they do have the defense capable of that, but I, I just don't know about the quarterback play. Well, and the, the division hurts too, Pete. I mean, like, do you – would you consider them one of the top two teams in the division, or do you think that they sort of slot as that third or fourth option right now? I think that division's wide open. You know, everybody's on the Raiders, but you got to remember last year, and, and the Raiders the Raiders yeah, were that's... dreadful on defense last year. Yeah. They were, I mean, having Khalil Mack on defense, they were dreadful. They were awful. Look at their numbers. They were bad. And they also won a lot of – their numbers – back up a team that was, should have been more like 10-6 and six than what their record was. So I, I don't think the Raiders are what everybody thinks they are. Uh, you know, Kansas City is still a good team. I don't know how good they are. It's open. I think any of those teams, you know, even the Chargers who played a lot of, you know, lost a lot of close games last year. Uh, if they're, you know, when you got Melvin Ingram and Joe Bose, Joey Bosa coming off the corners, you got some guys that can get after the quarterback, and that's important in this league. So I think the division's wide open, and uh, any of those teams can win it. Man, I, I remember that Monday night game that you referenced, Pete. Broncos at Bengals, I think week 16 of the 2015 season. No, Bronco no, no, it was Bengals at Broncos. But, no, that game was in, it was in Denver, Pete? Or I thought it might have been in Cincinnati, but yes, wherever it was, it, Brock Osweiler. It was a Monday nighter in Denver. Osweiler leading the comeback. AJ McCarron. Yeah, I won some money on that game, and I think Pete lost money on that game, which is why I always beat Pete at our head-to-head picks challenge. Looking forward to doing the same coming up this year. Pete, appreciate it, buddy. We're look all, all your written content this week, CBSSports.com. Um, what is your next camp stop after Denver? Going to going to New Orleans to work on a piece I've been wanting to do for a while, which is uh, Drew Brees happened to be born in the wrong time because he's the most underappreciated quarterback maybe ever in the history of the league because he plays in the same era as Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning. Looking forward to checking that out on the website. And Pete, we will discuss it later this week on the podcast. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. All right, hey, uh, that does it from Pete Prisco, who is in Denver. We had Jason Lockanfora talking Steelers and Ravens, some Game of Thrones talk. Will Brinson, I'd say this was a noteworthy edition of the Pick 6 podcast, and since I am terrible at promoting us and getting all that information out there, do it for us, buddy, and, and, and take us out of the Monday edition of the Pick 6. Yeah, subscribe via iTunes. Leave a review, especially you people who are right about Nick's golden voice. My voice is not so golden on this sorry Monday, but that's Better okay. than mine. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Leave a review, rate. Our bosses will love it. You can follow us on Twitter at the Costas for Nick, at Will Brinson for me, and we'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of Pixie Podcast.